It's been four or five years ago now that our family took a trip to Florida. We went to, uh, to Disney World, and when we were there, there was this new attraction. It was called Avatar Flight of Passage, and everybody was talking about it. And uh, it was pretty incredible, but so was the wait. Um, we tried to get there early and time it right, but after 25 or 30 minutes, we, we wind our way from outside into inside. No big deal. There were ropes set up, and there were like five lines going back and forth, and then the music started getting louder, and that's when we knew we were in trouble because they were, they were trying to distract you. And then we went from that room, we went into another room, and the music got even louder. We wait a little bit longer, we go into another room. Again, the music gets a little bit louder until finally we get to the front of the line. And somebody comes up with what they call a fast pass, which means that they spend extra money to get this little device that allows them to cut in front of regular customers like us. And so they just flash this, this fast pass, and now they're in the front of the line now, and I'm like, are you kidding me? We waited all this time just for somebody to get right in front of us. And I started to think that life feels that way sometimes. Right when you think that you're getting into the front of the line, there's another room. Right when you think you've got to the end of the tunnel and you think you can see the light, it turns out the light's a lot farther down the road than you ever dreamed. We spend so much time in life waiting. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but my guess is every single day you spend time waiting. Whether it's at a stoplight, the doctor's office, waiting for your wife to get ready, in the grocery store, you ever do that thing where you try to, to judge which line's gonna be the quickest so that you don't have to wait? We hate that waiting period, don't we? We all experience it. If you have kids, my guess is, like me, every single meal involves waiting. Not because you're at some nice restaurant, because you're just waiting for your kids to eat the food that's put in front of them. We spend so much of our lives waiting. Here's how I'll define waiting for us today. Waiting is that space between reality, where we actually are in real life, and, and desire, th this place that we long to get to. The space between reality and desire. There's space between addiction and recovery. There's waiting there. Uh, the space between uh, depression and joy. There's waiting. The, the space between hurt and health, there's waiting. The space between joblessness and employment, there's waiting. In all of our lives, we are probably on some level and in some way waiting, aren't we? It's not unique to any single one of us. It's a condition of being human. There's a space between reality and desire, where we currently are and where we would love to be. Maybe for you it's a relationship. And so, so this chair would be singleness. That's the reality, and the desire is dating or, or, or marriage or, or something else. The question is not whether or not you will wait in life. The question is whether or not you will wait well. And whether or not you will wait well will determine the fruit that is birthed in your life between reality and desire. If you read through the scriptures, there are so many stories about waiting. 
There's whole books devoted to to the people of God, the, the nation of Israel waiting. If you read Numbers 13, you'll see this invitation from God. The people of Israel are invited to enter the promised land. Some of you are familiar with this story. They go to survey the land and and they report back, listen, there's giants in the land. Yeah, it's a land flowing with milk and honey, but there's giants in there and, and there's no way we could ever go into the land. So God says, all right, fine. You're gonna wander around in the desert for 40 years. The space between reality and desire was 40 years In that waiting time, the nation of Israel started to reimagine what life was like back in Egypt. They started to push back against their leader, Moses. They started to develop this holy angst within their soul where they just weren't okay with where they were at. Have you ever felt that way in the waiting? That God, are you ever gonna come through type of feeling? For them it was, are we gonna be eating manna for our entire lives? an entire book, an entire narrative, 40 years devoted to waiting. But it's in that waiting time that they also receive the law of God. They receive the 10 commandments. <coughs> and they started to recognize what it meant to be the people of God. What it looked like to live under his rule and his reign. What it looked like to not only become the people of God in a civil way, but they built the tabernacle during that time and, and they became this worshiping community. The waiting time for them wasn't just a time to kill. It was a time for them to develop. It was a time for them to grow. It was a time for them to become the people of God that he was intending them to become. And so in many ways, Psalm 130 echoes that Israelite declaration that we will not just get through the waiting but we will flourish in the waiting. That the space between isn't just a time to endure or a time to persevere through. Actually, it's a time where God wants to sink down deep within our soul some fruit that will eventually bear for the glory of his name. So if you have your Bibles, turn them to Psalm 130. It's a psalm of ascent. It's a psalm the nation of Israel would sing as they were heading up to Jerusalem to celebrate one of the three major annual pilgrim feasts. Eugene Peterson said that these psalms of ascent are the dog-eared Hebrew songbook. Inevitably, as you were walking this path to Jerusalem, when someone called out Psalm 130, you would be able to relate to this psalm about waiting. So with your Bibles turned, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? beginning in verse one. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. 
If you're looking for the point or the thesis of this psalm, it's found in verse five. The psalmist says, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. When the psalmist says, in his word I put my hope, don't think first and foremost, in the Bible I put my hope. Think in the presence of God I put my hope. In the speaking of God I hope. Because on this pilgrim path to Jerusalem, they probably didn't have a big scroll that they could roll out. They weren't talking about the Bible as we know it. They were talking about the presence of God, the the voice of God, the real impact of God's presence in their life. So the psalmist says, listen, there's a space between where I'm at and where I'd love to be, and and God, in the space between, I want to surrender my desires, I want to surrender my timelines. God, I want just not my body and not just my mind to wait for you, but look, I want my soul to wait for you. And here's what the psalmist knows. He knows that all of us wait. The question is not whether or not we'll wait. The question is whether or not we will wait well. Our response to God in the waiting, in the space between, determines whether we will experience significant growth or whether we will enter into a season of spiritual decline. Our response to God in the waiting determines whether we experience significant growth or spiritual decline. Now my guess is you've probably experienced both in your life, right? Times where where you've been waiting, maybe it was with your kids or with a job, and you grew more bitter and more anxious and more worried, and there was just this angst built up inside of you, and and, and this, 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 this space between just sort of ate you alive. And so you would say, yeah, 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 it's, it's possible for decline, spiritually, emotionally, our health, in every way for that to happen. But then if I also ask you, have you seen God move? Have there been, been times where, where you saw God work in your life in the waiting? So many of you would raise your hand and say, oh yeah, absolutely, because that's when God started to birth a new dream within me. That's when God started to meet me in the pain and in the questions that I had. That's when I started to actually hear his voice like I never had before. You see, the question is not primarily what happens to you, but rather how you respond to what happens to you. How do we respond to the space between where we are and where we would love to be? Everyone waits, but not everyone waits well. God does some of his best work in the waiting. As you read throughout scripture, the people of God are forced forced to learn how to wait on God. Abraham, the great patriarch of the faith, he receives a promise from God that he's gonna be the father of many nations. He receives that promise from God at the age of 75. He becomes a father at age 100. That's a long time to wait. David is anointed the next king of Israel at around probably age 15 or 16. But he doesn't take the crown until age 30. That's about 15 years for David in between the reality and the desire, the promise and the provision. And that space between God develops him, God grows him, God makes him into the type of man that the people would want to have as a king. So I don't know what it is that that you're walking through in life today. I don't know what kind of waiting you're involved in, what the space is between the reality and the desire. 
I only know this, that God does not waste the waiting. In fact, here's the way that that John Ortberg puts it. Waiting is not just something we have to do until we get what we want. Waiting is part of the process of becoming who God wants us to be. The prophet Isaiah would say it like this in Isaiah 40, 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. You see, in the space between, there's, there's a strength that's built. There's a fortitude that's developed. There's a character that starts to take hold in our life. And we would love to, to hit fast forward in the space between reality and zoom to desire, wouldn't we? But Isaiah says, no, that's not how it works. As you're waiting, one of the ways you wait well is by holding on. And in that holding on, God strengthens you and God develops you and makes you into the type of people that he's inviting you to become. What are you waiting for? What's the space in between your life right now? Between the reality and the desire? Wouldn't it be great if the scriptures taught us how to become a people who wait well? You're in luck. Psalm 130 is all about how to become people who not just wait, but who wait well. Today I want to point out four ways we can become people who wait well from this passage. We'll begin in verse one. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. Here's what the psalmist is saying. He's saying the space I inhabit right now is a space of pain, a space of affliction, a space of unmet desire. So God, since you're my God, you're gonna hear about it. He even goes so far as to say, would you be attentive to me? Have you ever felt like that in the midst of of walking through the space between that God was just silent? That he was distant? That he was uninterested? The psalmist can relate to you. He gets it and he's so bold as to say back to the king of kings and the Lord of lords, let your ears be attentive to me. Come on, can you be that honest with God? You and I will never navigate the space between well if we're not able to be honest with God about our deepest pains, our deepest desires, and our deepest cries within our soul. So here's what we do. Number one, we express ourselves honestly. He cries out. When was the last time you did that? We have three kids at our house, so there's always someone crying out. Sometimes it's even the kids. But it's just that honest desire of going back to God and saying, God, I long for this. And here's the thing about honestly crying out. It's allowing ourselves to honestly feel the depths of the emotion that are stirring in our soul. When we're in the space between where where reality and desire do not come together and where they do not meet, isn't it easier just to sort of ignore that? To to rationalize it, to to fantasize about what's coming next, but, but really actually deny reality? So what if we learn first and foremost how to become completely honest with God? And here's why honesty is so important, especially when it comes to our interaction with God. Because it begins the dialogue that we would so often rather distance ourselves from. Even when it's negative, even when it's painful, even when it hurts, God says, I love the dialogue. 
Listen to Moses, one of the, the great leaders of Israel, as he leads the nation of Israel. He's leading them through the desert wandering. Numbers eleven eleven. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? He's like, God, I don't get it. Why are you messing with me? God, why aren't you showing up? Verse 14, I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill, kill me. I mean, how's that for brutal honesty? He's saying, God, if that's the way that you want to deal with me, then, then, then let's just end this. He's saying, if I have found favor in your eyes, do not let me face my own ruin. That is an honest prayer, is it not? You will have a hard time making it through the Psalms without seeing the psalmist just say, God, I'm a mess and I need you to show up. We will never navigate the space between unless we're honest with God because honesty opens the dialogue. It deepens the intimacy. Inviting someone into your pain is one of the best ways to deepen intimacy. And so the psalmist says back to God, I long to know you. I long to hear your voice, so I've gotta be honest with you. Not only that, but this honest declaration back to God, this invitation into our pain, that's the way that God meets us and God provides for us. Listen to Psalm 40, verse one. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. I waited, I cried out, and he heard me. If we're gonna navigate the space between, the first thing we have to do is express our heart, our soul, our desires, our feelings, our thoughts, honestly to God. The psalmist continues in verse three. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. The psalmist is going to a place that you and I will often go when we're in the space between. We, we will start to think, okay, am I walking this road? Am I in this space between? Am I waiting because of something that I've done? God, are you upset with me? God, are you angry with me? Grew, I, God, I, I grew up in a household where one of the ways that, that we got our way well, was by giving people the cold shoulder. Is, is that what you're doing with me? The psalmist wants to, to nip that in the bud and declare unequivocally, no, God, God doesn't do that. God doesn't play games like that. And so often we think that God has turned his back on us because of some sin in our life, because some of the things that we're walking through, because of some of the decisions that we've made, and so we'll rationalize. The, the space between is, is a space where, where I need to get my act together. Or in order to get God's attention, I've got to perform and I've got to act and I've got to do something and, and I've got to stir up these good deeds in me in order to get God to turn back towards me and to be back in relationship with me. Our, our thought is, is, listen, I'm in this space, God, because you're giving me the cold shoulder. And immediately as the psalmist begins to think that, he goes, no, 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 that's not the way that my God works. In fact, he washes us in the truth of the gospel. Listen to what he says, verse three. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? It's a rhetorical question because the answer is no one. 
God, you've been ridiculously good to us. But with you, there is forgiveness. In 1738, John Wesley, one of the great founders of the Methodist movement, he was singing this psalm in England. And as he sang it, his heart came alive, and for the first time, he really understood the gospel. Not that you fill the gap in the space between, but that God does. So whatever situation you find yourself waiting in, can I encourage you not only to express yourself honestly, but number two, to acknowledge forgiveness consistently. This is something that we need to let wash over our lives on a daily basis. The truth of the matter is not that that God is, is silent. It's not that God's giving you the cold shoulder. The truth of the matter is not that he's just sort of waiting on you to clean up your act so you can be back in relationship with him. The truth is that so much of the time in the waiting, God is pursuing us, and we are the ones with our backs turned toward him. And so this sometimes looks like, all right, I'm gonna try to work myself out of this situation. And God, I'm gonna try to get back on good terms with you. We run in contrary to the rhythms of the gospel when we think it's about what we can do rather than what Jesus has done. The way God responds to us in those times is by coming and meeting us face to face. Church, that's the gospel. Paul, writing to his friend Titus, says this in Titus chapter three, verse four. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. We didn't close the gap between reality and desire. God did. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Tim Keller says it like this. For indeed, grace is the key to it all. It is not our lavish good deeds that procure salvation, but God's lavish love and mercy. That's what it does. And so friends, if your view of God is that he's angry with you, that he's giving you the cold shoulder, that he's waiting for you to clean up your act before you can get back into relationship with him, let me assure you, that's probably some religion. In fact, it's most religions, but it's not Christianity. Christianity is that God pursues you even at your depths. That's the only way we can explain the life of Jesus. So the psalmist says, but with you there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, some translations say with fear, serve you. And as you first hear that, my my guess is that that some of you take a step back like me and go, well, well, I didn't think that forgiveness should, should initiate or stimulate fear. Now, if you do a word study of fear throughout the scriptures, there's a number of different ways it's used. In this case, it's not that we should be afraid of God as, as in if, if we cower about not being in a relationship with him, the relationship that he purchased for us. No, in this case, it's fear as in awe and reverent worship. The NIV translates it as, as reverence. This is in light of the fact that we've been forgiven by him. That's what it means. So are you under the impression the false impression that God is mad at you, that he's angry, that he's playing games, that he's giving you the cold shoulder, Psalm 130 assures you that's not true. 
Express yourself honestly. Acknowledge forgiveness consistently. Listen to what's next in verse five. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits. In his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. So if you were to ask Joel, what's the big deal? How are we supposed to, to actively wait? What's, our, what, what's our, our, our part in that? I know that we cry out to God and we remember that, that we're forgiven and there's no gap between us and God, but, but what are we supposed to do? The psalmist paints this picture of watchmen. Watchmen were people who would sit on the walls of a city. They would look out and they would declare to a city, to, to an army, to, to kings, that there's a, another army coming and they're going to attack us. They were people who helped the, the nation of Israel or whoever's walls that they set on be prepared. So I would say this back to you. If you find yourself in a season of waiting, take the disposition of a watchman. Now here's the trouble with being a watchman. The watchman gets to sit and they get to look and, and they get to wait and they anticipate what comes, but they don't get to control what comes. They get to say, hey, there's an army at the gates, but they don't get to create the army and they don't get to initiate the counterattack and they're typically not a part of it. And what the psalmist would say is, yeah, that's what waiting feels like sometimes. That's the disposition that we are invited to take. That waiting plus watching equals hope. So we watch. We watch for God's deliverance patiently. Now, I don't know about you, but my tendency is far more control than watch. My tendency, especially in the space between, is I'm going to go out and I'm going to make it happen. The psalmist says it's more like sitting on a wall and watching and anticipating and being alert instead of feeling like you've got to make it happen. Waiting and hoping does not mean that we do nothing. It means that we go about whatever our daily assigned tasks are, our jobs, our homes, our vocations, confident that God will provide the meaning and God will provide the conclusions. That's what it means. It means that, that we act with confident expectation that our God is at work and God is on the move. Here's the way Eugene Peterson puts it. The Christian's waiting and watching, that is hoping, is based on the conviction that God is actively involved in his creation and vigorously at work in redemption. And so if this is the space you're in, the space between today, I encourage you to be alert. God is on the move. Here's how the psalmist ends. Verse seven, Israel, put your hope in the Lord for with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. That word redemption in Hebrew carries with it the picture of somebody walking into a slave market and purchasing back a slave and giving them freedom. He goes, God is on the move, hope in the Lord, trust in his love. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Here you get the picture, cry out to God. Remember that you're forgiven. Take the disposition of a watchman and with expectation, wait with confidence. And as you wait in the space between, for those who follow in the way of Christ, those who know God, this space, 
This space is definitively covered by his love. If we lose sight of that, we lose sight of the hope that allows us to continue to push forward in the midst of the space between reality and desire. So we express ourselves honestly, acknowledge our forgiveness consistently, we watch with patient expectation, and number four, rest in his love confidently. I wanna make sure you listen to this. When you find yourself in this space, and it's so hard to see God's hand, sometimes there, there is a significant darkness that, that inhabits this space that we're in, isn't it? The reality of a lost love could be the reality of a lost loved one, the reality of an unmet expectation, the reality that it might never come to fruition the way that you thought it would. And sometimes it's so hard to see God's hand. And what the psalmist would say to us is simply this, when you cannot see God's hand, trust his heart. He's good, he loves you, he's for you, he has purchased the way of redemption. Jesus would invite his followers to live like this, John 15, nine. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Remain in my love. If you were to look at the Greek, it's literally, make your home in my love. Wrap yourself up in him. In the space between, in the waiting, wrap yourself up in the love of God so that everything that comes into your light comes through the lens of the cross. It means that no matter what God allows to come into my life, we have to see it through the lens, first and foremost, that he died for me. First and foremost, he gave his life for me. First and foremost, he forgave me. First and foremost, he entered humanity as a man in order to purchase my life. Whatever comes at me in life comes to me through the lens of the cross so I can abide in his love. I can walk in his love. I can be confident resting in the fact that he is for me and he is good. I don't know what it is that you're walking through this morning. I don't know what the space between is for you. But I do know this. There probably is one. And so my question back to you is, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Answer that, I am waiting for, for what? Maybe you're, you're waiting for the reawakening of joy in your life. Maybe you're waiting for, for the reawakening of hope in your life. Maybe you're, you're waiting for, for, for restoration in a relationship. Maybe you've started to, to initiate some, some reconciliation and you're just sort of waiting for how the other person's gonna respond to that. Maybe, maybe the space between is the space between school and graduation. Maybe it's the space between work and retirement. What are you waiting for? All of us will wait. The question is not whether or not we will wait. The question is whether or not we will wait well. Because in seasons of waiting, you will either enter a season of significant growth where life flourishes or spiritual decline and, and you start having a hard time hearing God, a hard time seeing God, a hard time trusting God. And Bachelor Creek, I want more for you. 
Will we be the type of people who don't just endure, but who wait on God well? Let's pray together. God, by expressing ourselves honestly, we'll we'll tell you that we don't like the waiting. We so quickly want to fast forward and, and just get to desire. But God, I pray that today you would help us to understand that, that you do a good work in the waiting. And the waiting can be a time of significant growth. And I pray that we would come to a place where we can embrace that. That we would embrace what it is that you want to do in our lives during the waiting period. God, help us to become a people who wait well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.